Hot damn. Welcome, everyone, to the newest episode of The Deep End. I am Halen Pittman. Always, let's kill that spider. <laughs> Coming from my garage in Williamson. I think, I think you have to leave that one in. Okay. Well, it was. There was like a spider like coming right down at my microphone. At me, like, in my, like, it was like two inches from my face. Um, because, because I am shooting from my garage here in beautiful Williamson, South Carolina. My guest, of course, as you can hear, Ms. Lee Terrell. How is it going? Going good. Brought through the magic of technology, through the, the bells and the wires and the, the radio waves. Our topic tonight, you wanted to try non-Cthulhu Lovecraftian stories. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. What made you think of that? I am a very big Lovecraft fan. I started out with HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. There's a couple of guys, they've gone through... And talked about every fiction story that Lovecraft has written. And it really opened up a whole new world of literature to me that I had not really even known existed before that. You'd never dug into any weird fiction before then? No, no. Big Neil Gaiman fan and a big Stephen King fan, which I didn't know how much they had been influenced by Lovecraft. King tells that story before about how he had no real connection to his father because when he was young, father went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. Mm -hmm. So the only connection he had to his father really was going into like, I think it was his grandmother's attic and he found, mm -hmm. he found the collection of his father's old pulp books that he loved. And in there, oh, were, okay. in there, there were a whole bunch of Lovecraft stories. And so through reading like Lovecraft and a lot of these old pulp writers, he was that, was, that was the only way he ever really could connect with what his father was. Yeah. Well, there's a character that shows up over and over again. Um, he has different names. He's Martin or the Man in Black um, in the Dark Tower. He more or less implied, or I'm not sure if he's even outright said, that that is Nihilatotep, which is Lovecraftian. You know, a lot of people know about the mythos, and, and a lot of people know about Cthulhu, but the thing that you find when you, when you talk to people is that they don't actually know who Lovecraft is. And his writings at the time, you know, he was in the writing in the 20s and 30s and never really reached a large audience with his writing. You know, he was in little pulp magazines and things like that. But the effect that he had on our culture is way beyond what his audience was during his lifetime. Get to wave our little flags in the air on that one, because uh, <laughs> yeah. his, his greater writing circle influences everybody. I mean, uh, oh yeah, from you know, Robert Howard, who uh, you know is the writer of the Conan stories. They they sh actually mm -hmm. shared back and forth some of their gods and monsters, all the way to you know modern day stuff. He liked that feeling of unease and that sharing that he wanted, almost like he wanted his readers to have existential crises of health. Yeah. For, for those who don't know, a lot of Lovecraftian stories, and the mythos stories in particular, deal with characters that are facing 
an uncaring, unloving reality. They feel that whatever their ideas of life were are kind of stripped apart and they're, they're kind of staring naked into the abyss as horrible, dark things happen around them. And, and that information, knowing things is dangerous. Yes, yes, definitely. That, that, we, are all, that we are all better not knowing because truly knowing the shape of the... It's almost like where they talk about when the four blind men touching an elephant and describing it, that as long as you can only see your little part, you can maintain your sanity. Once you see the full size of the elephant, there's no way your mind can handle it. Right, right. In the Cthulhu mythos, of those stories in particular, they involve ancient elder gods that exist just outside or you know, somewhere within our reality that can't break into it but slowly do and will eventually destroying us all dark and horrible things are always going to come and eat us your past you know your um your ancestors influence who you are that kind of thing yeah that's that's actually a lot of the stories that's actually a really good thing to talk about now we've talked a little bit about the mythos there the of the, the specifically speaking about these elder gods you know Nyarlathotep. Uh, Shub Niroth, uh, Cthulhu, uh, Yog Sothoth. These these are you know these are the the, the god creations of, of. But if we talk about some of the other non mythos stories, what what are your some favorite your favorite stories, Lee? Uh, well, my number one favorite story would have to be the music of Eric Zahn, which is it's about a college student basically who kind of down and out on his luck, and he's gone to find some housing. <laughs> he did have a lot of money, and, and you get the idea that he just sort of skips out on his rent and has to move to a different place. He finds this street, gets a room, and there's a guy there that, that he keeps hearing playing this amazing music that he's never heard before. It's really uh, something strange going on, and the guy's playing music to keep something at bay is kind of what you get the idea. It's a story written... From the perspective of the people outside of the Lovecraft story, looking in. We don't really know what the story is, but we get this one character's viewpoint of it that something strange is going on, and he doesn't get to find out what it is. Yeah, I like the idea that he kind of peers slightly into that other world, and, and I agree with you. It almost seems, if I remember, Eric always seems like exhausted in the morning and has to play... Mm -hmm. Has to play continually through the night. These it's like strange, unearthly tones. The protagonist we never know his name, but he comes into Ericson's room one night. He he, was, he just wants Ericson to play him some music, and and he comes in, and Ericson's like you know just exhausted, and he's like, now I, I got to tell you this story. Well, he's mute, so he can't actually tell the story. He has to write it down. Well, also English isn't his first language or French. He has to write it in German. So he's like I, you know just. Sit down. I'm gonna I'm gonna write this story out, and, and I'm just gonna get it all off my chest. Writes for an, a solid hour. So then, after the Eric Vaughn's writing this, you know, hour long story, he hears something out the window, and and he has to run over, and he throws open the window and starts playing his his instrument wildly, and all of the the papers fly out the window, and we never get to find out what the story is. Never know why he was playing the music or what he was doing. Really, goes over to I don't know, like grab his hand or something and realizes that the guy is still playing, but he's ice cold and stiff and dead. And he runs out 
of where he's been living, runs out into the street, roams around for a few hours, and then can never find the street again. I definitely do love some of the uh, the non-mythos stuff with Lovecraft. Was it the case concerning concerning Arthur Jeremin? Yes, yeah, yeah, the one with the, the the guy who when he finds out that his descendant of an of an ape creature. Yeah, yeah. Like a like and a he, like, he like burns himself alive or something. Yeah, you get some of that like the kind of exotic, you know, Solomon's Mines pulp stories, you know, where people continually write about, you know, going into deepest Africa or the deep Pacific yeah. to, these, to these cultures. And, of course, Lovecraft, definitely guilty of xenophobia. I think the only argument is he was more of a man of his time, of in his situation, where that was just how a lot of people were. You can't, yeah. you can't, you know, you don't approve of it. It's just something that you have to take into account when you when you read and analyze the stuff. Well, yeah, he definitely had a fear, like a, a deep xenophobic fear. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was definitely. You know, I am, I am a person of the city because uh, yeah, I definitely. know, I know they talk about the the small amount of time he sit, spent in the south. He ended up writing the story where the guy, you have a scientist digging into like this old tomb. And the guys on on a radio line at the top front of the tomb. It's very cheesy and yeah. very very like basic pulpy. And it, I want to say it's um, it might be one of the ones with Randolph Carter. I, but no no actually, it's not Randolph Carter that went into the tomb. The guy that's outside the tomb. Yeah, because if I want to remember, it's a very it's Randolph Carter. It's a very early story. The case of Charles Victor Ward. Right. It's got that ancestral thing going on. There's a there's a guy and his family is past is he's got relatives that were not on the up and up and and one of them was this just Kerwin who was he was playing around with immortality the idea that you you could live forever you could you could say the right thing or do the right ritual and you could live forever and basically takes over Charles Dexter Ward's body one of his longer stories um it's, it's very good if you the John Carpenter movie the thing if you've seen it and you like it I would really suggest going back and reading Lovecraft. Well, I mean, especially <laughs> if, if you... If, with I, me, I'd say, At the Mountains of Madness. I was about to say, if you enjoy the thing, definitely read At the Mountains of Madness. And, yeah. But yeah, At the, Mount, At the Mountains of Madness is the only novel that Lovecraft wrote, but definitely, right. definitely his masterpiece. I mean, I was... Yeah. I, I think I, I just had to sit, I sat and read it in like two days. And I had to break up because yeah. I couldn't stop reading. It's It's good. Yeah. It's real good. And it's the thing is such a good idea of what that book is. Right. I think I think and I think that's how Carpenter how Carpenter kind of took that is he took the original thing from another world and uh and puts it through Lovecraft mm-hmm. and through that through, right. through that image you get, you know, anyone can be your enemy, it's going to take your your place and consume you destroy everything and rot you out from the inside you know that's yeah and you never you can't you can't ever be safe you can't ever trust anyone it's really the only one of his stories that i i would i would say could make a good theatrical movie like a like a big release movie if you could do mountains of madness which is what you know guillermo del toro yeah. Yeah, that's what um, I was that's what I was about to say cuz I was just reading an article with him cuz he's about to start uh he's about to start writing uh and pr- doing pre-production on Pacific Rim 2. Right. So and and well, and, 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 and he more or less said that he's 
not going to do. Well, no, but in that in that article I was reading, he was saying that Legacy, which was originally the company that was going that was that was going to fund him, but then got cold feet, was mm-hmm. bought out by another company that was going to fund him, but then the amount the number that he had kind of got cold feet. But that he's making so much money on these Pacific Rim movies. Basically, if Pacific Rim Two comes through, he's gonna do it. All right, you hear that, people? Go watch Pacific Rim Two. <laughs> yeah, because because I mean, and and Ron Perlman is still beating down that door to try to get Hellboy Three made, and Hellboy very Lovecraft influenced. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I always thought of it, you know, that that glove, that right hand of doom that he has is Yogg-Sothoth. You know, that the, that, that the god Yogg-Sothoth in, in, in Lovecraft is the opener of the ways. He is the keyway, yeah, the, key the, key. the, the doorway who can move and to go through anything. So basically, you know, to, to open and connect any place and time and reality together. And, I mean, that's, that's the right hand of doom. In, yeah, it's too bad we aren't in the same room for you to see the look of revelation that just came upon my face. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Did you ever see uh, The Devil's Backbone, that movie? No. It's, a, it's an early Del Toro film, and it's one of my favorites. In Devil's Backbone, it is a war orphanage during the Spanish Civil War. And it's very, a very, very dour, dark, and, it's, and it's told from the point of view of a young boy in this orphanage because his father's been killed. And it's all the people, it's like their children who've been, you know, since they've been killed fighting against oh, okay. uh against uh francisco franco um mm-hmm. you know, they, they like the children have been taken in and there's the ghost story because there's one one boy haunting this one other child and all he sees is this boy i believe santi is the name of the of the ghost um he just sees this ghostly form of this body with a boy with a, a stream of blood slowly floating out of his head like it's in water and he just sees this oh, ghost. Wow. He just sees this ghost everywhere. He's trying to figure out how this boy died, and that's the little murder mystery, you know, weird horror. And the, I'll give a lot of cre- credit to August Derleth. Yes. Um, although uh, the very the very first thing I ever read by Lovecraft ever was uh, actually not really by Lovecraft. It was listed as Lovecraft, um, but, it was so, but it was it was Derleth completing uncompleted Lovecraft stories. It's a couple of things, you know. He did a lot of good stuff, and he's the reason that anybody knows who Lovecraft is. Yeah, right. But he also kind of broke some of his stories. <laughs> I actually have one of his. He wrote a lot of children's stories, like a, a, a novel. Because I picked it up, and I was just looking through. Like I was at like a, a thrift store, and I was looking through the old books, and I'm like, August Derleth. And I actually look at it. It's really, it's really him. He wrote like he because. He, he wrote in tons and tons and tons of forms. Like he didn't just do weird fiction; he'd do like dramas and historical pieces and kids' fiction and all types of things. Oh, yeah, but but to, to 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 speak to the audience, the reason one of the things that we you have to dedicate stuff to Derleth is he created Arkham, which is the first yes. which is the first group to ever actually collect and put. Uh, Lovecraft stories together in a form and since Lovecraft only ever had one novel uh, and then just a bunch of scattered pulp stories you know throughout pulpy literary journals of the 20s and 30s and 40s um, he was the first one to put them together in a form and actually try to, to fly that flag of hey this guy should be recognized as a great American writer yeah H.P. Lovecraft Literary Society 
that's another good website for stuff. Um, they've got like merchandise kind of stuff and um, uh, radio dramas of some of his stories. And they've got, I believe you can get the violent film version of Call of Cthulhu. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I own it. Okay. Yes. One of the guys <laughs> that's in that is the guy, one of the guys from the podcast. Well, that's uh, yeah, because I'm I'm aware of their stuff because you. I remember they started out as like a, a live action role playing group that uh, mm-hmm. that they would that they would sell like props and stuff for play for playing uh, you know mythos Lovecraft you know Lovecraftian RPGs. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Andrew Lehman is is one of the big people there, and he's he does a lot with the podcast. He he does readings, and he's very knowledgeable on uh, Lovecraft stuff. So mm. he's a He's an interesting guy. Being the last child of an old New England family mm-hmm. that's fallen on hard times because your father was a horrible gambler and womanizer who died of syphilis in an insane asylum and is taken in by your two spinster aunts who hate everyone and don't trust the world and are paranoid about everything. And as a young boy, you escape into the sciences and, and fantasy to try to, you know, find a place in the world. He did okay. Yeah, yeah, he did all right. Well, then I'm going to cut for now, and uh, we'll go and watch Cool Air, and we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So uh, so we just watched uh, Brian Moore's Cool Air. So what did you think of it? Yeah, it was good. I wish that I had gone back to read the story before I watched the movie. I mean, to do that. <laughs> there, so there are a few changes. The narrator in this short story is nameless. Randolph Carter is more or less the name that H.P. Lovecraft uses for a lot of his narrators, especially early on. But it's like his avatar in a story is Randolph Carter is H.P. Lovecraft. Right, right. Brian Moore wrote, directed, and produced this film. I suppose technically still a short film because it's under 45 minutes. It's uh, it was a labor of love for him. He uh, he actually sells his movie monster model collection to fund making his own film. This film came out in 1999. It was introduced into the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival as a submission at that time. You have a writer down on his luck, living in New York City, feels out of place where he is. Who befriends a doctor who saves his life after he has a mild heart attack. The doctor tells his sad story of how he had a degenerative genetic illness that he staves off by keeping himself really cold through different machinations. Mostly through a, a 1920s refrigeration unit that he has been through secret eldritch means of dark potions and medicines. They don't, they don't really go into that because, of course, Lovecraft, what is unknown is always scarier than what's known. It's tragic, unlike, I, I think, some of Lovecraft's stories. There's a lot of pathos. You know, you actually, uh, you actually kind of feel for the people in the story. Yeah, which uh, is really rare in his stories. You never, a lot of his stories, you, you never know enough about the characters to really actually care other than a general sense of, oh, man, this like, horrible thing is happening, that's too bad. Yeah. But in this one, it's really more like this writer and, and then this doctor and his sad story and his wife. He lost his wife to a cholera outbreak, and that's why he kind of left yeah. and came to America. 
you know enough about the characters to actually feel a little bad for them. It's sympathetic in a way that most people think of Lovecraft as being very xenophobic. And in, in a way, he was. The story was one of three that was written during his New York period. And he lived in the uh, Red Hook neighborhood, which he was surrounded by all types of immigrants and people from different backgrounds. Being upper crust or fighting to try to stay upper crust New England boy, uh, this was, it was definitely a, a whole new experience having to see sights and sounds and people from everywhere. But that main character, Dr. Munoz, uh, being a Spanish immigrant, it becomes a great, uh, a good friendship there. So speaking about the movie particularly, you, you texted me while we were finishing there talking about how you loved the character of the lady who ran the boarding room that they lived in. Yeah. <laughs> she's awesome. She's so just curt, real gross with him. And like, you know, I'll, I'll you can have the room, but no women, and, and I'll do your laundry, but you're going to have to pay me. And then she comes in, you know, she'll come in once a week to clean her, and every time fussing at him about something, he, she's just, she's a character. She's nice the, to watch. The, the actress there, uh, Vera Lockwood, the, the, apparently she was really loved in the set because they didn't expect her to play up that character so much, and she plays the stereotypical Italian mother yeah. hitting on to everyone and shaking her finger. This movie in particular, though, I really enjoy it. It's the opening film of what's called the H.P. Lovecraft Collection by Lurker Films. It's a five-volume set, collection of different short films, television pilots, and some longer pieces that were all submitted in one way or the other through the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, collected in this, in this group of five different discs to, to, uh, for people to actually see them and share them. Yeah, it was good. Specifically in terms of a, an adaptation of a story into a, a short film, I thought it did really good. It, it really captured that idea of, you know, there's something going on, but this doctor, like right away, you're like, yeah, this isn't up with him. Even though it, it, if you watch really closely, it shows a couple of the cracks to show that, you know, it's very much independent film. Uh, Dr. Munoz, all of his books, if you look closely, are Funk and Wagnall's encyclopedias. The building where this was actually filmed is from the 1920s. It's in Los Angeles. And Brian Moore, the writer, director, producer, and, and main actor of our Randolph Carter, he played the part, could never get permission to shoot in this building because it was damaged in an earthquake in the 90s. Eventually, he just broke in. That's awesome. And uh, this entire movie is recorded illegally without, per I don't think, with, without permits and without permission, just every day <laughs> breaking into the into this place to uh, to film in this old old boarding house. I thought Brian Moore, he had a very Lovecraft look going on there. He did a good job of trying to look like him. He jokes about that. He says it's because he has the large crook nose, so he's able to pull it off. The little round glasses and... You just put your hair back a little bit. And... Because that's kind of a meta joke inside the story. He's talking to Mr. Munoz about how, you know, he survives by writing stories about the tentacle thing that shall not be. <laughs> yeah, and that he wasn't that popular. And, yeah, that was I caught that. That was really good. He has, like, his one novel in him. This story was really funny. Like, when I read the story the first time, I, I don't think it was supposed to be funny, but it was just funny starts out and it's something about you wanted me to explain why I'm afraid of cold air or why I shiver more than others. Well, I'll tell you this horrible circumstance that 
why I'm afraid of cold air. <laughs> like, okay, dude. But in the movie itself, I, I, I appreciated a lot of the visuals, especially at the end as Randolph Carter is reading this, the, in the latter part of the film, talking to Dr. Munoz, when he's talking to Dr. Munoz, Munoz goes on a, a little narrative about uh, a mouse, Ambrose, which I'm sure mm-hmm. it was like Ambrose Bierce, one of, uh, yeah. one of uh, Lovecraft's writers that he looked up to. He talks about the mouse that he keeps in a cage and about how you know, he understands the mouse as he once understood his wife because the mouse can only exist and live inside his cage. And, you know, Munoz is now trapped inside this cage that is his room. Cool room. Cool, his cool room. The last visual I really appreciated because it was, uh, if you look closely, it's it's that little Munoz before open the mouse cage and let, yeah. and let Ambrose free. Yeah, I like that, too, especially because the style of, of movie they were making, they're not going to show, you know, like, when, when uh, Randolph comes in the room to find the good doctor, he's, all it is is, like, you, you just see his suit sleeve with a skeleton hand. Right. right. And that's really all you get in terms of knowing that the doctor's dead. The letters, it looks like it's covered with, you know, kind of gooey or wet or something. And so it's kind of a... Uh, a good visual to end the story that the doctor is free and he freed the mouse. Yeah. I think the the best thing a film can do or a reinterpretation of art can do is bring a different view on a story. I mean, if, if you've you already got a short story, it's already kind of said what it said. If you're not expanding on that, and I think this expanding, it actually gives a little bit of of emotion and sympathy and to... to something that you almost never have in Lovecraft. This is also one of the, a very reinterpreted story. There's a, this was remade in the 50s into a Tales from the Crypt comic. Uh, in the 70s, it was ran as a Night Gallery uh, episode. Um, Night, yeah. Night Gallery has a lot of good high points, too. Uh, and they, they do a lot of Lovecraft stuff in Night Gallery. So if you get the chance to... If it's out there on a streaming service or you pick up the DVDs cheap, please do. I, I would greatly recommend it. And it's also uh, last year, I believe there was another version that came out. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know how close it is. It's actual reinterpretation, but it's called H.P. Lovecraft's Cool Air, so I don't know. There's so much random Lovecraft stuff out there. People like that like to attach, mm-hmm. attach the name because that was another point that I thought was really cool that Moore was talking about how he tried to make his independent film understated because at that point so many um, Lovecraft adapted stories had gone the like splatter way. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, take, you take like you know from beyond. Uh, I guess at its most base, like the Reanimator, uh, is a very, it's, it's a short story, and there's not a whole lot, a whole lot really to there at the end. You know, the Herbert West raises the dead, and then they come back and kill him in the short story, and then it, it turns into a giant comedic zombie story in the movies. Yeah, I didn't care for that movie. Um, oh, I love it. Was a little rough to watch. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I love it. I, I go I go just fine with that type of of you know gross out horror style like I mean I, I'm 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 down with that, but I can appreciate doing something a lot more appropriate. Yeah, it, yeah gore doesn't bother me, but for, you know for whatever reason I think 
I just that movie was I don't know if I'm, I was the wrong age when I watched it the first time or I don't know I just was not uh, one thrilled. of the, one of the few one of the few movies that you can really combine you know a statement about sexism and necrophilia in the same scenes <laughs> you know yeah, yeah there's some there's there's some rough stuff in, in, in reanimation yeah it's uh not not for me didn't love it. <laughs> There are a lot of really bad Lovecraft adaptations out there, I have to say. <laughs> the Fosdicks uh, Award has one. There's an adaptation of that that's pretty bad. I'm pretty sure Will Wheaton is in a Lovecraft movie. Was he in one of the like Will Wheaton? You go back and look at him. He's got some some rough stuff in his in those teenage yeah, years. It's, it's one of his more what, what, the, terrible movies. Was it like the the curse? <laughs> It could be. I, I I don't remember. All right. To be honest, I just know that he's in one, and it's sad. <laughs> all right. Well, and uh, and to tie all this back in into the non-Cthulhu mythos stuff, I really appreciated how it has some of the themes. That's why I picked Cool Air specifically. It has some of the themes: fear of the unknown, people uh, people dealing with those things that they should not, and that humanity is not ready for, nor ever could be ready for. But it doesn't. It doesn't take a big bad. There's not like a, a, an evil god out there causing. You know, this is this is a man's own failures, and it's very human and dramatic story. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. That was uh, I, and I, I hadn't seen that, so I really enjoyed watching it. All right, man. Well, then I think we might have been able to complete finally episode four of the Deep End. Yay! I can't wait. With our guest Lee Terrell, <laughs> thank you very much, ma'am, for for taking your time to do this. And no as always, I'm glad that people are out there listening. And everyone, have a good night. <laughs>